to um, pick up again where um, where I've kind of been on this idea of well, we just went through the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension, and and how that ties in, and even how that affects us as being disciples. What does that mean? And today, I want to I want to I'm not even I'm not even backing up, I guess, but I'm going to kind of do a sidestep in this line of thinking that we've been on. Uh, this is something I'm still chewing on, and sometimes it's dangerous to when you're with the one up front to talk about what you don't know what you're talking about. Um, but I'm just going to bravely go where no man has gone. Um, what I, what I want us to look at, this does tie into where, what we're thinking, but there, there are, um, in creation, there are the echoes of God's voice that are still being heard from when he first spoke. Right? So what I want to talk about today is actually anger. But I want to get there through a, a different door than what we normally use anger to, or you, the door we use when we want to talk about anger. But so within, within human beings, there are the, there's four voices of God that are still echoing in creation. Um, I don't know that this is theologically sound. This piece I haven't taken enough time to delve into to see if this is correct or not. So it may not be, but for today, I don't care. It works with what I want to say, so I'm going to say it. And then we can sort it out later whether I should have said it or not. How's that? <laughs> yeah, we'll clean it up on Monday. <laughs> so. Within, within these voices of God that are at the four voices of God that are echoing, which I'm referring to as the four winds. The scriptures talk in various places about the four winds of God. There's also the four corners of the earth that it speaks about. Um, I, so I want to I bring up four areas that, from my view, um, are evident in humanity. And the fact that they're evident in humanity is also evidence that they are the voice of God in his creation. So the first one is justice. The second one is spirituality. The third one is relationship. And the fourth one is beauty. And I think, in my view, when I look at what God created, what just in him speaking and what, uh, what began to happen in the universe, I think these four pillars, these four winds represent, the, the. again, from my view, they represent the ruach. They represent the wind of God that, that is still moving from his first speaking. So the first one is justice. When God created humanity, it was created to function in a just way. And of course, we all know how we got to an unjust way. So we all now live in a world where injustice is everywhere. And um, yet within this place where injustice is everywhere, what I see in the heart of man, a, a, a person who knows Jesus or a person who doesn't know Jesus, there is a desire for justice. All of us know when we've, when we've been treated unjustly. Just go in the nursery. They'll tell you. Most of what we do to those children in there is unjust. <laughs> Which is an interesting thing about justice. Justice can be a very subjective thing, or it can be objective. And we, as humanity, when we're wrestling for justice, we oftentimes, we're satisfied if what I feel needs to happen that's just I'm OK with that, even if you're the one that injustice gets done to in order for me to feel justified. And that, I think, is a core dilemma of humanity, is outside of God's justice, we can't get to justice. 
because our, 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 our view of justice, my definition of justice, my emotions of justice require something of someone else in order for me to feel justified. But the movement of our father is to bring justice to the earth. Because his, wherever he is, somehow justice is at work and being brought forth. And the ultimate culmination of justice is when Jesus returns. I'm convinced that outside of his return, we can't get to the whole earth being covered with the glory of the Lord and justice actually reigning as, it, as God intends for it to reign. Uh, so he will set right the final things that need to be set right. But while we're waiting for his return, that does not take me out of the responsibility of being his imager and working towards justice and making sure that as much as I can, wherever I am, to whoever I'm interacting with, that what comes out of me is some type of kingdom virtue that is bringing some level of justice into an imperfect place where injustice is reigning. The second one, spirituality. So again, in all of humanity, there, there is this desire for some type of spirituality. We, we will create it you know, in the earliest of cultures. We created it, it created it, 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 it. Uh, it felt so good, I didn't know how to stop. I just <laughs> In the earliest cultures, we create it if all we do is pull from the natural environment around us. So even in a polytheistic view, we see that, well, there's an essence of something in that tree, and there's an essence of something in that rock, and there's an essence of something in that stone. And, may, and maybe where I arrive is that I'll label that a god. Now, I can say that that's incorrect, and I, and I can say that full assurance. But what I also can say is, for the person who is only tr has no other grid to go by, and what they're trying to do is bring a, a voice to the voice that's inside of them, that voice that comes out, I begin to look around at creation and go, Somehow, there's something in this creation. And that brings us to the next one, uh, which is beauty. And I think for in all of us, there is this place of an appreciation of beauty. Now, in humanity, there's high levels of appreciation of beauty, and there's low levels of appreciation. One of the things that I found most intriguing is when we were going both to Brazil and to Haiti, especially like to be down in Bene, which you look around and you, you're kind of hard pressed to sort out a whole lot of beauty. The houses are falling down, there's trash everywhere, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it. but the thing that amazed me over and over again in house after house after house, the house can be in really poor quality and yet sitting in the corner is a five gallon metal oil bucket that cooking oil came in with the top cut out and a plant growing and the plant is flowering. So even, even in, in difficult places within the people, there's a voice speaking that says beauty is important and I'm trying to arrive at beauty even if my conditions limit me to finding an, an oil can with a flower planted. And, I, and I, in my travels, one of the things I've come to appreciate is I, I really purpose to pay attention to those places of beauty and stop and spend time there so that my soul absorbs the beauty that the person that planted that flower wanted me to see. Somehow, I needed to come to a place of thankfulness in broken places. And being able to become thankful doesn't mean you get to see the whole picture complete. It may mean I only get just this little piece. 
But in that little piece, I can be thankful because at this moment, that flower in a really broken condition around it, I'm touching God. And somehow, he's touching me because he created that originally. Beauty is really important to God. Just look at the universe. Just look at the pictures that come from outer space, from the telescopes that we've now put out. Incredible, incredible beauty that's vast. And I, I was thinking when we were talking about his goodness is running after me, and, and Clarence, what you did, and uh, you know, everything all you guys were doing here, which was just excellent. Go to an art museum. And if you're in an art museum, you'll notice that nobody walks like this. <laughs> Everybody in the art museum is. Unless they stole one. Yeah, unless they stole one, right? <laughs> Good point, good point. But then you see the whole other people walking quickly after them. But everybody else is walking through this art museum, and you know the only way to appreciate art is you have to watch it. You have to gaze at it. You have to stand there until whatever the artist was putting on that canvas starts to come inside and you have an encounter. And sometimes the encounter is that you're just totally taken back by the skill of the artist that took and put something on a canvas that looks just like it looks if I was looking out the window, which is incredible to me. Or in another place, you, you walk through, and the artist who has been able to take some uh, a root of a tree or a broken branch of a tree and repurpose and recreate, and all of a sudden it's this playing of absolute beauty that somehow the artist was able to look at something that most of us might just walk past and just see it as a piece of wood. But the knot and the little piece sticking out and that little piece that went that way, all of a sudden one person saw that and saw something different, and then was able to take what they saw and make it a reality. And now I get to stand here and look at it and go, oh, that's incredible. I probably would have used that for the Friday night bonfire. Yeah. And this guy just spent like hours and hours and hours of time sanding, chipping, doing whatever. You know, it's like, that's wow, incredible. Because beauty causes something to awaken in us that is the voice of God. He does that towards us. We all know this. this it's, the, it's the power of the gospel that God looks at each one of us and doesn't see where we are in the moment. He sees what he can shape in the future. And now he invests time in us to transform us, to be his imagers, so that the beauty that's him now becomes the beauty of us that becomes the beauty that we can give to someone else. So beauty is the third one. And the fourth one is relationship. I've, I've talked about this a little bit. But one of the things with relationship that fascinates me in creation is these two things, laughter and tears. And I'm, I'm now convinced that laughter and tears are the bookends of being a human being. There's a lot of things that can happen in between those two. But those two are the bookends. And the thing that I find fascinating and, and reason I even call them the bookends is that both laughter and tears most of the time are an involuntary expression. Now, I can consciously cause myself to laugh, and I can consciously bring myself to a place of sadness and cry. 
most of the time, though, those two things are involuntary. And the thing I find that's, well, sometimes, at least, if you're a person that has a warped mind like me, it can be troubling. But, you know, when the person gets up from the chair and starts to walk out and trips, and I bust out hysterically laughing because it was the funniest things I've ever seen, and other people are going, that dude is sick. That person, did you see what they did? They just tripped and fell. And like, I know I shouldn't have laughed. I don't know why I laughed. It was out before I knew it. But darn, that was funny. And I'll be laughing at it tomorrow when I think about it again. And then if, if you really press me and you go, well, explain to me why it was funny. I, I can't. I don't know. It just struck me. It was, I don't know. It was just the way. That I, it, I, yeah, it was just funny. Or tears, mainly are involuntary. I struggle with tears in these years because they come more often. I don't plan them. When I start preaching and then I start crying, I did not practice that at home before I got here. It's not in my notes. Shed two tears to show empathy. <laughs> yeah, just two. <laughs> don't want to get carried away. I mean, just. Yeah, <laughs> and, then if, and then if you really press me and go, well, when you read that or you said that, why did you start crying? I, I honestly don't know. All I know is some emotion deep in here rose up and took over. And I, I didn't control. I couldn't control that my voice was shaky. I couldn't control that my eyes were now weeping. It was just there. And tomorrow, I may say the same thing and it not be there. So it's, most of the time, it's involuntary. But it is also the thing that separates human beings from all the other mammals. Now, I know in the animal kingdom, sometimes they show the pictures of the monkeys laughing. But if you tell them a joke, they're not going to laugh. They won't get it. <laughs> it's Yes, in the animal kingdom, animals can appear to laugh, or we can even say they, they can laugh. The difference is it's not coming from the same source as when I laugh and you laugh. It's different. So we have this place of relationship. And when we, look at, uh, when we look at the relationship, we see that God in his creation from the very beginning intended relationship with his created beings. We fouled that up. And yet the thing that's fascinating to me is even though we've messed it up, he's chosen to stay connected. During worship, the words that kept coming through my heart as I was sitting there worshiping was, you always come. You know, I, I can't remember the song. I'm never good at remembering songs. But there's a song that we sing that talks about, you always came or you always come. I don't know what it is. But something like that. Yeah. But it's like, I just was, Lord, you always come. You've always came. And you always come. Always come. Whether I see it, appreciate it, feel it, you have always come. You always do. So when we look at these four, four, you know, I'm, as I'm referring to them, the four winds of God, justice, spirituality, relationship and beauty. So we look at those four. Now I want to walk through the door of anger. Because anger, I talked about this when we were down to Carolinas for the men's retreat. Anger is one of those things, especially for those of us that go away to men's meetings. They, and they will always talk about anger because they keep telling us, like, men are just angry. 
I'm not angry. I'm just emotional. You know. <laughs> yeah, but I don't get invited to the women's conference, Angie. I, just, I don't know what you ladies talk about. <laughs> but so oftentimes, the, the, and we'll look at the scripture in a moment, but the scripture says, be angry and sin not. That verse gets used a lot, and we start from this perspective that, uh, or what's often referred to is, if you're going to be angry, then don't sin. But sinning is actually happening when you're angry. So if you're angry, you are sinning. But that's not what that scripture says. Actually, the scripture is a command. Be angry, but sin not. So Paul is telling us two things. One, there's a, play, there's a time to be angry. And I, I want to say that in, so there is righteous anger, there's unrighteous anger. And I don't get to say whether my anger is righteous or unrighteous. The fruit of what I do with my anger says whether it's righteous or unrighteous. So if I'm... Um, uh, so when I look at these four areas of justice, spirituality, relationship, and beauty, I find that those are four areas where anger will rise up when I become aware, whether I know God or not, but because his essence is already in all of his creation, there's pieces of us that will reflect him even though we don't know him. Right? So, justice. We all know places where injustice is going on. And when Paul says, be angry, to me, it's if I'm living on planet Earth, there's a lot of stuff happening that I should be angry about. Now, the difference is I can't let my anger become a consuming anger. Actually, Scripture gives us a time frame for anger. Whatever time during the day you get angry, don't go to bed angry. So that's your window. So if it's going to be a big deal and you're really going to get angry, I suggest do it in the morning because <laughs> it gives you lots of time to process through. Probably 11 o'clock at night, not a good time to get angry. Just put it out of your head, wake up tomorrow morning, get angry then. Get a good night's sleep, rest, chill. Yeah, yeah, the morning it'll already have passed. But so, so there's things that I should be angry about. There are things I'm angry about. But anger can't consume me. It can't control me but it can motivate me. Anger is actually a good motivator when moving from a righteous position. When I'm angry, and I, can, I, I know this by experience, there's times I've been angry, and it motivated me into thinking through a process to get me to an answer that was a righteous answer, and God was in the whole thing. There's other times I've gotten angry and then plotting to kill somebody isn't really the direction I was supposed to arrive at. Yeah. Or road rage or whatever it is. That, that, you know, that's a little different. But, when, but anger itself, one, the fact that I even have and you have, it's a universal part of being a human being, means it was put there by the creator who created you. So... He didn't see it as being bad or sinful when he put it in you, no more than the other things that he's put in us. But what he has said, I've created you in my image, and God is capable of being anger, angry. We have multiple scriptures where God's angry. But what do we see and uh, how anger is handled is, is the issue. So, so I, I see something and it makes me angry. 
because there's injustice going on here. Or I, you know, even, you know, even seeing beauty being destroyed. You start going, okay, I may not be able to see the answer clearly, but I'm pretty sure the actions that we're taking right now are not reasonable and good actions. So for me, that this is just personal for me, but one of the things that makes me angry right now is what we're doing to the county I live in. I get that people need places to live. I get that, you know, money, there's places to make money. I get the whole economic picture. But I don't think our county, the beauty of our county, is going to be as beautiful when all we are is back-to-back -back subdivision, 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 traffic jam, traffic jam, traffic jam. That somehow isn't beauty to me. So what we in humanity, our, our way of handling things is the pendulum swings this way, and then we all get upset with that. So now it swings over here, and you slam everything shut. And, and especially in, in where we are right now, we're so polarized that you can't even have a discussion about what's the middle of anything. Yeah. It's, we, we have to have an extreme. And my extreme has to be better than your extreme, and so on. So I, you know, not trying to go this morning into all that, but I'm just saying there, there, there's things that cause me to be angry enough to go, our current way of doing business needs to change. And I don't know all the answers, but I'm convinced it needs to change. And if we don't change it, we hit a point where it's too late to change it. I mean, if, if you know, most of Sussex County is ultimately just subdivision after subdivision, nobody buys a subdivision, tears it down, and plants corn. You can't go back. You've already corrupted it. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go forward and figure out other solutions, but the easiest solution is now gone. And I think that's true, you know, you know, in marriage. If we if we get into this place where husband and wife were just in this, these constant confrontations, we might get to the place where we can't go back. So much has been said, so much has been done, everything is so broken. Outside of some incredible miracle, I can't go back. It doesn't mean I can't go forward, but it does mean the easiest solution, work on your marriage, get it right before it comes so broken that it's just a trash heap. Deal with it in its early, and then you can fix it. You know, but sometimes we just hit the point of no return in, in the decisions that we make. So there's this place of being angry so then how do we then begin to work it out? How do, what's, what's, you know, what does it mean to be, to sin not? And so and when we talk about sin, am I only talking about just moral requirements or just obedience issues? Is that what I'm talking about? Is that, is that the sin not? They, they play into that. I don't think that that's the full scope, though. I think that I'm, I'm designed, you're designed, to image Christ in everything that we do. And probably all of us in the room confess up and say, and we haven't hit that mark yet. right? But we know it's the mark. We know it's where we're going. We, we know it's where we should go. We know that God speaks to us when we're not quite where we should be, all those things. So, But the bigger picture is... And it all comes back to the heart. What, um, when I, oh, I don't want to say this. When I sin not, my actions are releasing the kingdom instead of the kingdom of this world. And so at the, at the, at the core of being angry and sin not, at the core of that is violence. 
And that, for me, is becoming more and more this measuring stick. And I, I'm still processing this. I think I said this a little bit the other week. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not fully through where I, I think I'm going. Um, but if I'm angry when I use violence in any definition as how I deal with my anger, now I'm sinning. So if I'm not using violence, what does nonviolence look like? Jesus. It looks like Jesus. And we've talked about that through the crucifixion, that the ultimate, you know, the ultimate confrontation that God had with the, the, the powers of this world, the political, the religious, all that, God came and chose nonviolence giving his life to the violent. But in him giving his life nonviolently to the violent, he ultimately defeated the violent. Yeah. And that's upside down thinking in our world. So the, this, this place where, we're, um, where I'm not sinning is when I move away from seeing violence as, as the way to handle, to handle the situation. Matthew 5, 21. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother without cause will be liable of judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable of the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable of hell fire. So Jesus kind of moves to a whole different place. You know, it's been said that you should not murder. And if you do murder, then you're liable of judgment. And Jesus says, you know. What he's saying is that then I'm supposed to love my enemies. I'm supposed to love those that are against me. Matthew 5.43, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Not even the, gent not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So i got to love my enemies. See, the, and the, the problem, the internal problem that this causes for me, the struggle that it causes for me, and this is a legit struggle, is I like the statement, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, as long as it's your eye and your tooth. <laughs> There's times where injustice, what do I, what do I, how do I want to handle injustice? I want to handle it with violence. An eye for an eye. You get me, I'm going to get you. You come after me, I'll beat you first. You get that gun, I'll get a bigger gun. You get that stick, I got a bigger stick. You got your pack of rocks, I got my boulder. Whatever it is, I'm going to one-up you in might and power to subdue you because that's how I'm going to handle those that come against me. And yet Jesus says, here's actually a better weapon. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not going to take that as far today as I'm going in my own thinking. But I'm more and more convinced to use violence to stop violence is not a kingdom solution.
Let's just let that sit for a moment. Ephesians 4.26. This is the verse that we've been looking at. Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let the passion of your emotion lead you to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fuel for revenge, not even for a day. There's been plenty of times in my life where anger was fueling my revenge. So here's the dilemma. Do we, do we do what the scriptures say or, to the, or do we massage them to say what we want them to say? And I readily confess that this line of thinking creates serious issues. Now, one of the other things that I think in my, again, in my, where I'm at in this is that what I'm responsible for as a believer a Christ follower, an imager of Christ. That's not the same thing that a government is responsible for. But the people in government are held accountable for what they do with the power that they have. And there is a day of reckoning. Right? But for me, I, I can only solve this issue for me. Where does that leave me as a Christ follower? I, I don't know yet, but what I can tell you is historically, for the first 300 years of the church, this is how they saw it. They did not take up a weapon. They chose to give their life instead of taking a life because their primary view was, anytime I do that, I'm judging another person, and I can't judge because I'm not the judge. And so if that means harm for me, that's the decision I've made, and I, won't, I won't, won't retaliate. You see it through the whole New Testament. I mean, look, just read through the book of Acts. They were hounded by the government and the politicals, or the government and the religious folks, and they did not form a militia. They did not start an underground revolt. The revolution that they were bringing forth was the gospel. As the scripture says, and they did not love their lives even unto death. Colossians 3, verse 1. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. That is why we yearn for all that is above for that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of power, honor, and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities, not with the distractions of the natural realm. Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life, and now your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ. And as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed, for you are now one with him in his glory. Live as, what, live as one who has died to every form of sexual immorality and impurity. Live as one who has died to diseases, desires for forbidden things, including the desires for wealth, which is an essence, which is the essence of idol worship. Put on them. This is Colossians 3.12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You also must forgive. Ooh. And there's more to that verse, but it just ran away from me. So... So for, for me, as a Christ imager, I have to sort out what is it that I'm actually, as a disciple, being called to do. Is, is my goal 
to further uh, institutions of this world, or is my goal to further the kingdom? And if I'm going to use violence to establish the kingdom of God, the kingdom that I'm establishing through violence is not the kingdom of God. How did Jesus establish the kingdom of God? Well, I think we all know. How did God handle Jesus laying his life down to be murdered by men? The resurrection. If heaven and earth are this close, so we believe that they are, they're, inter they're interlocked, they, they move together. Uh, heaven isn't, as we've talked about, isn't way off there somewhere. Heaven's right here. Heaven is just a matter of seeing or not seeing. It's that close. In the early church, to become a believer, you basically had sealed your own death warrant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's quite a few places right now on planet Earth where that's true. Um, to say that you're a Christ follower is going to cause you lots of problems. Um, actually had, had the privilege earlier this week of, um, see, it just happens. I don't know why it's happening. It should happen right at this point anyway. But I had the privilege of praying with some people um, that are part of an underground church in a spot that I can't really say. But in, in, in listening to them, I was convicted that their grid is so radically different than mine. I'm upset because my tire went flat, and the prayers they're asking for are for those that are in prison being tortured right now because they're Christ followers, for families of those who have given their life and now are struggling because they have no support because it was the father that was killed. You know, and I'm sitting here in this part of the world complaining about stupid stuff. And those folks are laying their life down, and the church is growing. What is it that makes a person have an encounter with an unseen presence, knowing that that encounter is going to cost me my life? And they say yes. Boldly, confidently, and full of love, they say yes. And we quit going to church because the temperature isn't right. Yeah. Or, yeah, whatever it, whatever it is, it's like, and I, I, it just, it brings me to this place of a deepening conviction that my place as a disciple is far more shallow than what I like to confess that it is. And I don't say that to beat myself up, because I don't. This, this is where I live. So in where I live, I don't have anybody come into my house every day looking for me because they heard that I'm a pastor. And if they can catch me and kill me, they can splinter the church. I don't live in that world yet. You know, it's, it's fascinating to me that the, uh, when we were, you know, in the kind of whole futurist view of, of um, you know, they talk about the, you know, people will talk about the tribulation. We got the seven years of tribulation and the various things. Like, you realize that from Jesus' ascension to this very moment, most of the believers on the planet have lived in tribulation the whole time. It wasn't seven years. They would have been thankful for seven years. It was generations. How do I conduct myself when I live under a government that is against everything that I believe as a believer? So do I choose violence? 
I think in the law of attraction, why we're not supposed to choose violence is because violence attracts violence. Peter whacked off the ear, the guy that had come to arrest Jesus. Jesus first has to glue it back on, turn to Peter and say, dude, you live by that sword, you're going to die by that sword. That sword attracts other swords. And I think in our world, we've been so programmed that violence needs violence, that we now live in a country where violence is now being used across the board. So I don't like a Supreme Court justice. I'm just going to go kill him. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot him dead. And what will that do? If I don't like how the government's running in this city, let's just burn the flipping city down. We'll just do it until they hear us. But that doesn't bring change. Violence only brings more violence, only brings more violence. You know, which was the, the power behind men like Dr. King, who knew. I mean, he was not oblivious of the fact, at some point, they're going to put a bullet in me. He had had the reports. He knew. But he kept doing what he was doing, and he chose nonviolence, saying, and, and, and he had to settle this in himself. I can't settle this for you, and you can't settle it for me. But at some point, we each have to settle, what is violence looking like in my life? And how much am I prepared to use violence? to establish what I want to establish. And in Dr. King's case, the heart decision he made was, I will not. I will not. And I can, I, you know, I think I can say this with, well, I know I can say this with full assurance. I don't know that I can fully uh, prove my assurance. But I'm absolutely convinced that, that by Dr. King choosing nonviolence, even though it laid down his life, saved the lives of thousands. Because he could have taken a different road. But he choose, chose not to. And there's lots of other people along that road of history from the time of Christ to the present. Somehow, so here's the quote. Thankfully, Rob had it and could send it to me. It was really good. Doug said it last week, and I've been trying all week to get it into my head. I even had lunch with him and made, it re made him repeat it to me twice, but I wasn't smart enough to write it down. <laughs> Doug said this last week, and this is a quote from, I forget which church father, but it's a quote from one of the uh, church fathers of the second century. What isn't assumed can't be healed. So what, what isn't assumed, what I can't take in, can't be healed. Jesus took all of humanity in so that all of humanity could be healed. That's the good news of the gospel. But as Christ imagers, I'm called to image him to the world around me. And in that, how much am I assuming? Can I choose love over hate? Can I choose peace over violence? Can I choose a kind word over an accusation? You know, can I, can I choose truth over gossip? Because violence isn't just me smacking you on the side of the head. There's far more verbal violence that goes on in this planet than guns and bombs. And if that's surprising to you, there's this amazing little thing that just appeared one day because we all thought it was cool because it put our pictures on it. So they said, oh, 
It's Facebook. Look, your face is on the book. And we all went, oh, I love seeing my face. I'm going to put four of my faces up. And so we were all busy putting our faces up. But we didn't realize they weren't interested in your face. They were interested in your brain. Right? So violence goes on on that particular platform. And if, if you look right now and there's not anything going on that's violent, let me just make a post. I can start a whole war, but it's like before we even get church wrapped up. And I, and I can tell you how violent it's all gotten because I go, oh, look at that. I've now got 258 comments. I've been called every name in the book. I've been called, told to go to very dark places. Uh, I've been, yeah. <laughs> so violence is all there. But what do I choose? I can't choose you. Only you can choose you. But am I willing to assume the wrong to release peace? Or am I determined to use violence to destroy you? Somehow, when Jesus said, Try this, love your enemies and pray for those who attack you. Somehow he had a whole different plan. And somehow we have to take Christianity as it is, as it's supposed to be. We have to take Christianity and we have to extract it out of Western culture so we can see who we are. Because the way it gets wrapped into Western culture is not the gospel. How much am I willing to assume? And we, and we all just, you know, you know, we just we all just have to sort that out ourselves. I actually, uh, I was talking with Scott Hobbs about this topic the other day. We were back in it knocking it back and forth. And we were talking about making that personal, OK, what, what, what's my core value here? What am I going to do with violence? How am I going to handle it? I have to make that decision. Scott said, well, the thing that I kind of hold on to where the scripture says, as much as it is within you, live at peace with all men. He says, that way I got to cover. Because if, if I choose violence, I did as much as I could to live at peace, but then I had to smack you. Yeah, hey, buddy, that's how I do it, buddy. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, yeah, it works for me, I guess. That's where, you know, because it's, this is not, I don't know, but this is not an easy thing to resolve, but this is a core value we each have to come to some terms with in ourselves if we're going to be Christ imagers. Right. And you've got to make the decision before you're in the situation. Because yeah. if you don't make the decision, it doesn't become your core value. When you're in the situation, you'll default to wherever your heart was. So somehow, you know, we've got to sort it out. And I can look at the church historically, and I can see how she's handled it and how she's sorted it out, both good and bad. But anytime, this is Robert's personal conviction, so that's where it ends. But anytime Christianity the gospel is now aligned with a political entity. It's disastrous for the church. And again, by the law of attraction, uh, I'm more and more convinced, the, like right now, the United States, we, there is a spirit of violence that's loose in this country that's huge. Worse than I've, it's worse than we've ever known it, or at least in our generations. Um, 
possibly the only time that, is, that eclipses it is the Civil War, which we are in a Civil War right now. We're just not wearing gray suits and blue suits. Um, but the spirit of violence is tearing this country apart. Um, just this morning, I mean, you just, if you just read the, the stats for what happens every weekend in major cities, Six people killed and X number of people wounded in this city. Four people killed and X number of people wounded in that city. And so in a sense, there's this part of my humanity that rises up and says, well, what we need, if they're going to be violent, we need more violence. And what I really think what we need, if violence is rising, then let the peacemakers arise. Yes, come on. And the peacemakers aren't carrying guns. They're in the streets finding out what's the heart of the matter that's, caught, that's driving the violence. Violence doesn't exist just in some, some uh, atmospheric thing. Violence comes when the four pillars, the four winds, something gets broken in there. Something's broken in justice. Something's broken in spirituality. Something's broken in relationships. Something's broken in beauty. And in that brokenness, violence rises up. And as a Christ follower, I have to be there somehow figuring out how do I assume the violence? Can it be something that can pass through me and diminish violence where I'm at? And that's as simple as if I'm in the, in the workplace and the tension in the office is high. We've talked about this over and over again. As the peacemaker, am I able to shift the atmosphere in the office? Am I able to inject a word of peace where right now there's tension and confrontation? You know, in personal relationships, am I willing to step into a situation to diffuse it? It's probably a better word in our terminology now than assuming, but can I diffuse something? It's the church's responsibility to do that, that's our call. But when we've chosen violence over uh, assuming, all we've done is made it worse. And then what really makes it worse is when somehow we wrap spiritual words around it, like our violent actions are actually God's actions. And then the unbeliever looks at us and goes, You're, that's just BS. Yeah. It's in that anger when he rests and pets the name of God for that. That's where we think it. Yep. That's where the idolatry comes in. So this is probably one of my more light and fluffy sermons. Um, yeah. Don't you guys just feel charged up? You're like, ooh, this was... Yeah, yeah, Ray will be here on the 10th. He'll fix all this. <laughs> but but if we're, if we're going to be light, if we're going to be salt, we've got to figure out how to do this, and we've got to figure out how to do it so it actually looks like Jesus. Instead of the lo lo local militia or gang. Because that's not who we are. It's not who we are. A stand. Jesus, first, I just ask that you have mercy on all these folks for having to sit here through this last hour. <laughs> Lord, these are serious and weighty issues. And we as the church need to rise and step into our rightful places as salt and light. We need to step into our places of being peacemakers. And we need to know in our own hearts what that looks like. Lord, I pray for each of us that you help us at our very core see who we are 
and who you are in us and who you intend to be in the world. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, go ahead. Say the whole thing. As we forgive those who trespass against us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.